Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 171. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro, and my guest is Ken Berlin. And Ken is the president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project. The Climate Reality Project was started by former Vice President of the United States, Al Gore, and has rapidly become an essential organization working against climate change. And in this conversation, Ken and I discuss how the Climate Reality Project works to spur individual and organizational movement on climate and how we're approaching a really important tipping point We also spent some time on why in the year 2020, the probably most important lever for any of us to pull and to focus on pulling is the political one and the elements that underlie that and the potential that's there. And then we also spent some time on a really interesting and innovative thing that the Climate Reality Project does, and that is the growth of their climate reality leaders. And this is a leadership program nested within the project where people who are interested can become a climate reality leader and be part of the climate reality leadership core. There's actually one of these coming up in San Antonio. There are these really intensive and really wonderful training sessions. The next one is coming up in San Antonio. If you live in that area, you have until February 28th to sign up and you can go to climaterealityproject.org backslash training. The link will also be in the show notes, but that is a really special opportunity. And We've learned over the course of time in talking with all of the wonderful guests that we've had on Explore the Space about climate change that one of the most important things that we can do right now is simply talk about climate change, why it's important to us to share with our friends and our neighbors, why it's relevant to us. And this program, this Climate Reality Leader Program, that's a real cornerstone of it, how to present, how to build that skill set and that competence to be able to share why this issue is important to you. And I think that coming out of this conversation with Ken, the value and the meaning of doing that work is is really clear. Before we get to the conversation, I have a link in the show notes for this episode to all of the wonderful climate change content that we've done on Explore the Space, and I would invite all of you to please check that out. And you can find the entire archive for the show at www.explorethespaceshow.com. We're on all of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Anywhere you like to download your shows, you'll find us. Please definitely leave us a rating and a review and definitely subscribe. That really helps the show out. If there's ever an opportunity to amplify, explore the space on social media, that's always appreciated. And of course, word of mouth is a huge driver of progress. So if there's that chance as well to share the show with people that you like and work and care about, that is much appreciated. You can find me on Twitter. I'm very active on social media at ETS show, Instagram at explore the space show. And you can always email me mark at explore the space show.com. It's always a treat to hear from people who are listening to explore the space and enjoying it. Speaking of Ken Berlin is doing powerful work helping to guide and steer this powerful, growing, massive organization, the Climate Reality Project. It's really exciting. This is the year where this is going to also be kind of the time that the rubber meets the road because we are already in the heat of an election cycle. And this is going to be a a key issue. Climate change is going to be a key issue in every election from the local, state, and federal level. This was a phenomenal conversation with someone who is right out there at the forefront. And so without further ado, Ken Berlin. Ken, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. 
this is really exciting. This is the first opportunity for us to have a conversation with someone driving a large organization, an expansive organization. And so I don't, I want, I think the way to make the most of that opportunity is I like to ask people for that high level view. I like to start at, at the, the kind of the, the high up in the hot air balloon vision of where things stand. And I focusing specifically on your impressions, given your role and your experience, the strategic view of where we stand with respect to climate change advocacy, climate change activism. What, what are the trends that you're seeing? What are the sort of the rhythms that you're feeling as you think about that? Well, you know, with all with all issues like climate change, where there's, there is sort of a, a movement to try and get action on climate change, people work and work and work, and eventually they get to a critical mass where all of a sudden things start happening. And I think we're approaching that critical mass in climate change right now. Between the work of the environmental community with a pretty major push from Mother Nature, not letting people forget this issue, we've gone from a situation, for example, in 2016, where in the political campaigns there was virtually no mention of climate change, nothing in debates or anything like that, to this year, 2020, where already climate change has been a very, very significant part of the debate in the Democratic primaries, and it will certainly be a major part of the debate in the presidential election. So what we're seeing is increased uh, activism, increase, increased action um, by, the, by, the, by the community to try and get uh, results on this. We still have a ways to go. We're not there yet, but we're making a tremendous amount of progress, and we're you know, confident that this is an issue that will become more and more important. You know, the only question ever with climate change is not whether we'll eventually win this issue and address the issue. The question is whether we'll win it fast enough to avoid catastrophic impact of climate change before we do anything. And we're hopeful we'll be able to win it fast enough. That message, I think, especially that last part you were saying, is is really impactful and relevant. What's happening certainly in the medical community is that awakening that you're describing where it's individuals realizing, hey, there's this this thing is happening, whether we like it or not, we need to get facile with it. We need to get comfortable with the concepts. We need to start educating, teaching, learning about the global health impacts of climate change, for example. And I think in lockstep with what you're describing, we're feeling that. We have the New England Journal of Medicine doing work around this. We have the Lancet, which is a, one of the largest medical journals in the world. They've been leading on this now for almost a decade. There, there's definitely this, this movement. What I'm wondering is, it feels like it's still driven a lot by individuals. Are we going to start seeing large organizations? Are we going to start seeing large movements that drive us towards that tipping point in a positive way? I, I think large organizations are becoming involved, both in the private, in the NGO community, not governmental organizations, but also in the business community. Uh, more and more businesses are treating this as a critical issue. Um, they're addressing it uh, internally and, uh, and making progress on it. And in the environmental community and in the civic community, we're seeing more and more action on it. For example, we're doing tons of work now with the environmental justice community, looking at the disproportionate impact of climate change on poor communities. And it's very significant, particularly on the health side. I mean, there's tremendous health problems in poor communities in the United States as a result of climate change. So those communities are becoming energized, the business community is becoming energized, and the environmental community is making it more and more a keystone of the work they're doing. I'm happy to give you a local reflection of what you just said. So I live in Santa Rosa and we've been affected by two wildfires in the last three years. Mm -hmm. And when you look at 
what happened with the Tubbs fire in 2017, you know, large parts of Santa Rosa were burned out. The rebuild has been disproportionate. And I don't think that I'm going out on a ledge. You just need to drive around the city and look and see the Journey's End trailer park has not been rebuilt and it may not ever be rebuilt. And I think that there are local reflections of the disproportionate impact of climate change on people in a lower socioeconomic class around the world. It's, it's not a place that there's any position for argument. Yeah, I mean, for example, uh, a couple of statistics on it. African-Americans have an asthma rate of twice the, way, the, the rate of African-American children have an asthma rate of twice the rate of white children, and they have 10 times the death rate of, of, of white Americans on this. Um, and the death rate in the, in the African-American community from pollution and health-related, those kinds of health-related issues is three times the overall population. So this does have an impact on communities. And it's not just in the African-American community. As you said, it, with something like fires, every community is being affected by this. Yeah. Even though so poor communities are being disproportionately affected, but everyone is potentially affected by this, as you see in fires, for example. So then for you, as someone who is helping to steer a large organization through this, what is your feeling around the ability of climate reality and the need of climate reality to either stay focused on a couple of things and really hone in on those or to be really agile and be able to move from kind of topic to topic because the tectonic plates are clearly shifting quickly. How much do you feel like you want climate reality to be able to be agile versus to say we, we're on the right track, let's stick with what we're doing? Well, I think it has to be a combination of both. I mean, anything we do, we have to see through to the end. We have to make our point and, and make it clearly. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that as, as issues change, you know, we don't pay more attention to them. For example, the fires we're just talking about, that's becoming a more and more and more, and more important issue every year. If you look at something like, health, like heat stress, which now um, uh, in the United States causes more deaths annually uh, than all other extreme weather events combined, we're just beginning to see the impact of heat stress on people. There are parts of the world that may become uninhabitable because of the rise in temperature. We, you know, temperatures will go up to over 100, 125, 130 degrees, and that's people just can't live in that. And we have to be ready to to adapt to that. And of course, the health impacts are becoming more and more recognized and more and more important over the last few years. What are the levers that that drive both people and organizations towards change when you're thinking about climate re when you're thinking about climate change? Is it the health impact? Is it financial impact? Is it industries becoming untenable? What are the things that when you say these things are happening, when it clicks for a person or for a board of directors or for an organization? that they say, okay, now we have to take action. Are there trends that you're seeing in things that spur movement? Well, I think there are two things that we have to show, and, we, and we're able to do that. The first is we have to show this is, a, this is an issue that you have to pay attention to, that it's an emergency issue and we have to affect it. I mean, the Lancet, for example, in 2015 said that uh, climate change is a medical emergency, and in 2018 it said that climate change is the biggest global health threat of the 21st of the 21st century. And people have to understand that what they're seeing in, in weather events and all that is being caused by humans and the impact is very, very scary. And then we have to show them there are solutions to the problem, uh, which we can. Of course, the economics of replacing our fossil fuel-based system with a renewable energy system are becoming very clear now. We can do it if we have the political willpower to do it. So when we try and reach out to people, we start with that 
And then we try and reach out to people in lots of different ways, depending on, you know, where we are and what we think the issues will be. We speak about health a lot, um, the impacts of health. We speak about um, impacts on rising sea levels, um, impacts on uh, the the environment. We we at Climate Reality train people in three-day trainings to become what we call climate reality leaders. Um, by the end of this year, we'll have trained almost 28,000 people around the world to be spokesmen, to talk about it, to reach out to their communities, to uh, um, uh, hold speaking events, to organize. Um, so we've got to reach out on that. But also in the business community, you've got to explain that um, this can have a severe impact on business. And in general, whatever makes people understand that this is an existential threat to, the, to them and their way of life, we try and emphasize. I like the way you put those two pieces in parallel, the scope of the problem, and then here are the solutions, acknowledging that when you hear the scope of the problem, it is going to trigger a response, anxiety, defensiveness, denial, whatever it may be. But then you pair that with solutions and training and education to move the needle. For me, in learning about climate reality, spending time on the website, part of why I wanted to speak with you in the first place. Climate reality is really good at that, of we're, we're, we're going to be realistic, we're going to be frank and transparent about what's happening, but then we're going to be frank and transparent about what is available for people to do to take action, because if we take action, we can make this better. Right. You know, it's human nature, I think, psychology shows that if people feel there's an unsolvable problem, they just they just push it aside and try not to pay any attention to it. And this is a problem that we can solve, and we can solve it in a way in the United States that really benefits the country. It, it will it will make the air cleaner. It will deal with the kind of pollution issues that have tremendous health impacts. Um, we'll ultimately have cheaper, more reliable energy. Um, we'll create millions of jobs doing it. That's our message on the solutions on this. And we think it's a very powerful message. Now, there's always a counter message here from the fossil fuel, fuel community. And they're deeply into economic denial now, as well as science denial um, and denial of the health impacts by saying that this is not being caused by humans. So there's nothing we can do about it, but we're right on this issue. This is something we can address. We can address it successfully and, and everyone will benefit if we do. Are you in a place and is climate reality in a place when you receive that pushback, whether it's directed at your organization or you see it in the press or you see a press conference, is your response different now than it was before? Do you still take it on board and, and try to have the argument? Or do you just say, like you kind of <laughs> I think I know your answer. We're right, and we're going to keep doing the work that we're doing. Well, there, you know, some of the climate denial um, that you see out there, we don't necessarily address um, on a issue-by-issue uh, uh, issue basis. But we do really deal with the fundamental issues that are being raised by the climate deniers. You know, right now, they started off by saying science, the science is not correct. There's really very little of that now. Now their big argument is it's not being caused by human beings. And we do address that very, very fundamentally and very, very basically and say that, you know, all the evidence is there. And in fact, it's, it's really uh, totally undeniable. And then they say that we don't have any solutions. And they say it's more expensive to switch to clean, clean energy you know, for, and even the press still picks that up. The press will still run stories saying we've interviewed people to, to ask them whether they're willing to see their electricity rates go up to address this issue. The electricity rates are not going to go up. They're going to go down. And there's a big difference between those two things. And we do make that argument over and over again. And again, the same thing on the health side. We point out, you know, the impacts of health. 
we've got to convince people that even though they're not sick today, they've really got to worry about this. And we try and do that. As you're talking about these topics that will trigger significant anxiety, how do you integrate a sense of optimism? How do you integrate that sense of hope? It's clear on the website. It's clear speaking with you for just the last few minutes. But how do you get that to be widespread. And I ask that because I've had other people who've come on the podcast before, specifically Catherine Hayhoe and a few other people who've really honed in on the sense of optimism, the sense of hope. That's going to be the rocket fuel. How do we maintain that and how do we propagate it? Well, again, we do it by in a couple of ways. By first of all, having a lot of messengers, messengers saying it over and over again. You know, to reach people, you got to say, say things over and over again. You can't just say them one time. But it, but we are actually really optimistic about it that we can we can address this issue. You know, Al Gore, is, who you know formed the Climate Reality Project and is chair of our board, is very very optimistic we can address it. I'm very optimistic that we can address it because the the tools are there. All the tools are there that we need to bring about this transition. We need to create the political willpower. Is the only thing that we think has to be done now. Not the only thing, but it's the the critical thing that has to be done in order to be successful. And we. And we make that message very clear when we speak to people. This is not something to spare of. People who say we can't address this, we think are wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, we try and say that over and over again. There's a phenomenon called the illusory truth effect, which is when someone says something over and over again to try to make a point, whether it's right or wrong, it's going to, it's going to stand. And so you sort of have to counter that with the truth effect by saying this is what is true and continuing to say that over and over again. That's what I'm taking away from you as I'm hearing you give us that message that we have to have lots of people and it fits. So that's the philosophy of creating all of these climate messengers and having people come and do the specific training. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and, and we do, our messages do go out and our, our climate reality leaders do go out and speak all the time about climate change. I think we had one day last year, for example, in October, where we had uh, over 2000, about 2,100 presentations worldwide. Wow. To, to a hundred that, to 170,000 people registered at them. So we're out there getting this message across, you know, again, uh, as much as we can. It feels like for me, when we think about what the next big step is going to be, I do feel like it's right around the corner and it's the upcoming election cycle in the United States. How, how ready, how, how keen, how, how much do you get a sense that people kind of want, that we want this fight, that we want this opportunity to drive the right narrative forward? Well, I think we, there are a very, very large number of people who want to do that. You know, our, our task, you know, anybody involved in politics, and of course we do our political work not from the Climate Reality Project, but from the Climate Reality Action Fund, which is our sister organization that can do politically related work. But, you know, we uh, really work to get people out to vote, because the key to this election is going to be people who care about this getting out to vote and then making politicians feel there's a mandate that they can work that, that so that if they go out and um, uh, ask for climate reality legislation to pass climate reality legislation next year, the people have their back and they'll protect them when the special interests come against come against them. Um, so we'll work doing that. You know, an interesting thing about all this is polls show that 70 percent of the people want action on climate change and we haven't been getting it. So the question is, why if 70 percent of people want action? Aren't you getting that action? And we think that the answer is that what politicians want to see is not an abstract statement by people. 
They want to see people voting on this issue. They want to see people contacting them. They want to see the climate change, the top two or three issue to enough people. Once they see that, we'll get legislation right away. And the mission of the Climate Reality Project is to, is to build the public support that enables politicians to feel that. I think that that's an important point because it comes up in a lot of other topics where it's it's a it's a it's a crisis that we all face whether it's gun violence or the opioid epidemic or climate change these are not political issues these are public health issues yep. one of the levers to pull to affect change in that space is politics but it's not the only lever and it's not a political issue and i think it's really I think it's really smart the way climate reality has kept those separate where, look, this is one of the levers we're going to pull and it's an important one. And right now, temporarily, it's really important, but there's going to be a lot of other things that we're doing at the same time. Absolutely. When I say a political issue, I don't mean a partisan political issue. I think it's, right. a, it's a bipartisan issue, we think. Yeah. Obviously trying to bring about bipartisan support for this, but it's an issue in the sense that we do need legislation. We do need regulation for this for this to happen. Um, and we need the public making clear that, that, the, that the interests of the public, and this is true in all the issues you just mentioned, are greater than the, issue, than the interests of the groups that do oppose it. And we're working on that. And again, you know, it, it is, all of these are basically very fundamental health-related issues also. And again, we've got to get people to look at it that way. I know that you're very forward-facing as the leader right now of the Climate Reality Project, and you give lots of talks and you do lots of interviews, when people are able to come and approach you via email or more importantly in person after a talk and they get a chance to come and shake hands and say hello, and they ask, look, I'm one person, what, what would you have me do? Because I'm engaged and I want to make a difference. Obviously, they'll come to climaterealityproject.org, but what other things do you equip them with in the short amount of time that you have with them where you feel like I've given them the right tools for them to build on their enthusiasm? Well, you know, we tell them to speak about climate change and it doesn't have to be a presentation. Speak to your neighbors, speak to your friends, make sure that people understand that you, why you think this is an important issue. You know, it, it's not just the technical stuff. We want people to come in and say, look, I'm worried about climate change and here's why. So we try and get people... Uh, to really do that. We tell them that they, as much as they can, they should be involved in some way on this and letting their representatives and their business leaders know that it's an important issue to them. And that's really in many ways pretty easy to do. You just got to contact them. You've got to do that. And of course, the ultimate thing uh, would be to vote on the issue. We have now at Climate Reality over 150 chapters in the United States. We have 10 branch offices outside the United States. Um, and we work through those chapters and branch offices in local communities to work on the local level, the state level, and in 2021, we hope the federal level uh, to get this issue across and to reach out to as many people as possible. And, you know, we've had a lot of local success. We've concentrated on that the last four years, um, and hopefully next year we'll be also be able to concentrate on the federal level um, on these issues. Where are some of the successes come from that you didn't expect? What are some of the ones you're like, wow, that was, this is great. Didn't, didn't know this group or cohort was going to come aboard. Awesome. What, what are some of those? Well, one again is, is making this a, uh, an issue that, that's, uh, that we have many, many diverse groups working on, not just you know, the traditional white environmentalists from 10 years ago, but also diverse communities, African-American communities, Latino communities, and the business community coming out in our favor. We keep pushing business people to speak up about that because that will have an impact. 
if if they do that. So it, it comes from there, and then it comes from just getting the average citizen, as I said, more involved in these issues. What is something that you would like to see happen that would be an accelerant of change? And I'll, I'm happy to share with you what mine would be. What I would like to see is a, a celebrity or, or an endorser of note divesting from a, from an organization. And and I say that because if, if an athlete is sponsored by a company and that athlete does something illegal or untoward, that company will drop them and will no longer connect with them. And it would be really interesting to have an athlete or some sort of endorser say, this organization that I've had a relationship with that pays me a lot of money to be their spokesperson is not aligned with my vision of what effective responses to climate change looks like. And I'm dropping them. That would be really meaningful. Do you think something like that's going to happen? I hope, I hope so. I mean, again, we've got to find people in the, <laughs> in the bad, in quotes, organizations to do that. We are seeing it in the business community now. There are businesses dropping out, for example, from the International Chamber of Commerce, um, from some of the trade associations on this. So we are seeing some of that, although I think, you know, as you're saying, obviously real celebrities that people pay attention to would be even better. We have tons of celebrity on our side you know, who care about climate change. We work with lots of people on that. And, you know, hopefully, uh, I haven't really thought about it in that context, I have to admit, but we'll we'll look into that and see if we can get more of that, seeing if, if they're in an organization that they should drop out, or I guess even better, turn down an advertiser who, they're, uh, who they've been getting a lot of money from. You know, we've got to get people to do that, but it would be very effective. As we move forward and we're still building the workbook of things to do and expectations and hopes, what are things that you steer people and organizations away from that you have found to be ineffective? Or are there any? Well, I'm not sure there's anything ineffective. What, the one thing we do is we do tell people that acting on your own personally, for example, by you know turning off a light bulb, is not enough. We want you to take the personal actions you know, there are really major ones like energy efficiency measures and buying clean cars. Those are really critical. But you also have to understand that we need fundamental change in the country, political change. So we want you to do both, to both take personal action and to also make sure you're involved and let people know you're going to vote on this issue, uh, speak to people and build that public support we need. It's interesting to hear you put that together because that's one of the things I'm curious about you. You could have done anything. You're obviously well trained and well connected, and you, you've you've been an attorney for a long time. What is your journey? What was it for you that said, "Look, turning off lights isn't enough. I'm going to take all of my professional know-how, all of my resources and energy, and commit to leading this organization." What was that arc like for you? Well, you know, my interest in you know, I was an environmental lawyer my whole career. My interest in the environment, you know, is actually kind of unusual in the sense that I'm a very very active birder. I've seen. 6,600 species of birds in my life. Oh, wow. I've, tra- I've traveled I have a couple of friends that are going to email you after they hear this for sure. You know, I've, tra- I've traveled all over the world doing that and doing conservation issues. Um, so that's the first half. The second half of it, you know, I was a lawyer working on environmental laws my whole career, um, trying to make the environment better, trying to, um, you know, reduce pollution and reduce environmental degradation. And it's become increasingly clear that climate change is a fundamental threat to both of, to both of these things. To my interest in the environment, it's a fundamental threat to um, our the legal the legal work I've done, you know, most of my career. And of course, it's a fundamental driver of additional inequality. Climate change is going to make poor communities poorer and more people poor. And I care about that also. 
Have you noticed any change amongst your colleagues, peers, and associates when you talk about being an environmental lawyer 10 years ago, five years ago, and now? Well, again, the, fun, the, the biggest change, of course, is people like myself, you know, when I started my career, we didn't, we were not paying any attention at all to climate change yet. I mean, or we knew about it, but we weren't really paying that much attention. I think Al Gore was one of the first people to really pay major attention to this as, to this as an issue. And, you know, the fundamental shift is people are recognizing more and more that this is critical to all the work they're doing. And if we don't deal with, you know, with climate change, for example, a lot of the land conservation use work we've done and the work we've done to protect species, the work we've done to protect against pollution, the work we've done to protect against disease, they're all going to be overwhelmed by climate change. And I think people are recognizing that. Give me your sense of how the profession of medicine and the healthcare infrastructure in the United States and around the world is responding. Are you happy with what's happening? Do you want to see more? Do you want to see energy directed differently? What is your sense as someone who's driving the work as part of Climate Reality Project, looking back and saying to the healthcare industry, because I'm sure you speak with them and know people who are leaders in the industry and saying, this is what we need from you. Yes, we've done a, you know, we've done a, uh, a, a lot of work in that area. You know, doctors and nurses are very trusted messengers by people. So they're potentially terrific spokespeople that this is an issue they have to worry about. It's their health is being affected by it. And there are many doctors doing it, but I would say as in every field, you know, we need more and more. You know, the industry itself should reach out as much as it can to try and get its professionals to go out and speak about this issue to their patients, to their friends, um, you know, come to a climate reality training and, and, you know, go out and learn how to give a longer presentation on it. You know, we'd love to see more of that. So then that brings us when, when people want to do that and they want to learn more, how do people find the climate reality project? How do they learn how to become one of these instructors, teachers, spokespeople? How does, how do they find that work? Well, what we do in climate reality is we run three day trainings with people around the country and the world. We've now run over 45 of these trainings since 2007, although they're becoming far bigger now. They started off being very small. Um, now they're getting very, very large. In the U.S., we're averaging 1,200 to 2,000 people for a three-day training. Wow. This year, we're doing five trainings in the United States. We're doing one in Las Vegas uh, in March, San Antonio in April, Raleigh in North Carolina in late June, Detroit, early August in Orlando in September. Last year, we did four trainings, uh, a very big training in Atlanta, one in Minneapolis, and then uh, we did one in Brisbane, Australia, and one in Tokyo, Japan. If you go to our website, climaterealityproject.org, all the information on the trainings there, we have information up about, I think, all five of the trainings this year now. So we urge people to do that. And then when we go into a local community, we try and reach out in many different ways to let people know the training is happening. Although in these big trainings that we'll do, you know, we, we usually average... Uh, trainees coming in from at least 30 countries and from all over the United States. So we get a great turnout. We get a very, very diverse group of people. We often held, hold sessions on health and climate change. So uh, people can find us easily enough. Just put Climate Reality Project in Google and you'll find us. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. The other place that I think climate reality is and can be and will continue to be very effective is on social media. Yes. Have you been finding that the interest and engagement on Twitter and Instagram and, and those social media platforms is growing? Yes, we're, we're seeing growing uh, interest in that. 
at all of those every single year, um, as you would expect. You know, we have more and more people that we're in con- that we're in contact with. You know, our social media reach, if you include Al Gore in it, is probably six million people. So we reach a lot of people that way. That is really tremendous. It's going to be fun to, as that tipping point that you spoke about at the beginning, as we approach that, where climate reality has to continue to expand and scale up to meet that need, where five trainings turns into seven, into 12, into 20. It's it's really exciting. It, it really does feel like the right work. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and discussing exactly kind of that granular level, but also that strategic view of where we are. It's important that people who are leading the work are able to be this transparent and this open so that people who are interested and engaged know where to go, know who to ask, and know what tools are available so that we can continue to improve. Great. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy talking to you about it, and uh, I hope people will become more and more involved in this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.